and morning everyone we are continuing the turning point series as Christine mentioned and I'm going to let you guess who the character I'm going to speak about is let me point out the particular character I'm going to speak about anyone guess who I'm going to speak about Isabel? Paul. Or as he was known, of course, at that time he was Saul. And this is a depiction by a painter from the 1600s. Let me see if I can remember his name. Bertolet Pramal. He was a Belgian painter in the 1600s. And as you can see, we have Paul down here if that was working and of course Jesus at the top but let me read for you the passage from Acts chapter 26 where Paul describes to King Agrippa exactly what happened on the Damascus road now, if you go through the book of Acts, you'll find there are three occasions when we read about Paul's Damascus Road encounter. One is in chapter 9, and then two where he actually recounts what happened to him on that Damascus Road. One in chapter 22, and this one here in chapter 26. And I want to explain why I've chosen to read this one, not the one from chapter 9 or the one from chapter 22. But I'll do that after I've read it and let's read through from verse 12 to verse 18. On one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. As I said, there are three occasions in the book of Acts where the Damascus Road encounter is given us in detail but I've chosen this one in particular because of the word that I have highlighted. The word is goads. And it's one of these things. The actual name or the actual thing is called an ox goad. So Jesus is saying to, to Paul, you've been kicking against me, pricking you with an ox code. Now, you can imagine an ox either carrying a plough or a cart, and the driver of this cart or plough 
sees that the ox is going in the wrong direction, so he gives the, the rump of the ox a bit of a, a stick. And you can imagine that the ox at times didn't particularly like it, so the ox would kick back. And that's exactly the analogy that Jesus is using about the Apostle Paul. At various times during Paul's life, up to this Damascus Road encounter, Jesus has given him a, a uh, how can I put it, a poke in the rump. Or perhaps uh, a better description might be a prick of conscience. And I want to talk about those later. My imagination is going to go rife and I'm going to imagine what those pricks of conscience were. But at some stage during Paul's life, up until the Damascus Road, he must have thought twice about what he was doing. He must have had pricks of conscience. And I've chosen this particular passage because it talks about the ox goad. And I want to relate that to my own history. I was, uh, how can I put it? We weren't a Christian family. It wasn't until I was nine years old that my mother became a Christian. Dad was what I would call, I guess I would call him a relapsed Baptist. He'd been brought up Baptist, he'd been go he would have gone to church regularly as a young man, but when he turned 20, he decided to get out of England and move to Australia. And I don't think he attended church much once he got here. So he was a relapsed Baptist. But when I was nine years old, my mother went along to a John Ridley crusade and was soundly saved. So from the age of nine onwards, we went to church and Sunday school. And I can remember at the age of 11, kneeling down by my bedside and committing my life to Jesus. And as I say, we went to church and we went to Sunday school during my teenage years. And then at the age of 20, I had the misfortune or fortune, whichever way you look at it, of being called up into national service. You remember back in the 1960s, there was a war in Vietnam and the Australian government decided to introduce conscription. But it wasn't everyone, it wasn't every male. They had a barrel of days of the year, 365 days of the year, and if your birthday was pulled out, then you were called up and you had to spend two years in the army. Well, I got called up, and to my shame, I really didn't profess my faith. I was under a lot of pressure to conform, as you can imagine, in the army, and for 10 years, actually, I turned my back on God, didn't attend church. I call them my wilderness years. Or if you like, the years that the locust has eaten. Those of you who know the Old Testament will know that Joel, the prophet Joel says, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. And I remember coming back to the Lord after 10 years in the wilderness I remember reading those verses and being absolutely encouraged by them, that God can restore to us the years that the locust has eaten. But I want to come back now to the Apostle Paul. During those years prior to the Damascus Road encounter, 
I believe the Apostle Paul had many times when his conscience pricked him, when he felt like he was being pursued by God. And I have a poem, one of my favourite poems, in fact, and I'm going to read the first verse of it. It's by a man called Francis Thompson and was written in 1890. Now, it was written in Old English and I've sort of tried to make it into modern-day English, but it goes like this, and let me read it to you. It says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my mind. And in a mist of tears I hid from him beneath hollow laughter from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat. Ah, you who are blind and weak, I am he whom you seek. The rationale behind the whole poem is that God, as the hound of heaven, pursues us slowly and relentlessly until the day we have our Damascus Road encounter, the day we come to faith in Jesus. Now, some people think that this particular poem was written by C.S. Lewis because he, he quotes it in his book, Surprised by Joy, describing the way that he believes God relentlessly, slowly, brought him to faith in Jesus. But C.S. Lewis didn't write it. He's quoting from this man, Francis Thompson. And Thompson is describing the way that God slowly and inevitably brought him to faith. And I believe that's true of all of us. I think we can all look back. We can all look back and see where God has been speaking to us in incidents, in circumstances and we probably didn't know. We can only know that he'd been speaking to us and he'd been, he had his hand over us as we look back. So let's have a look at the Apostle Paul. He was born in Tarsus, which was a Roman city. A lot of Roman generals who'd finished their time in the military uh, retired to Tarsus, so he would have known a lot about the uh, uh, Roman military. He would have known, of course, uh, all the rules and regulations that the Romans were subjected to. It was He himself, in fact, was a Roman citizen, probably because he inherited it from his father. We don't know why, all we know that he was a Roman citizen. We also know that he was a student of Gamaliel, a well-known rabbi in Jerusalem. And he must have spent most of his adult life, certainly from uh, the late teens, he must have spent most of his adult life in Jerusalem. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews in Philippians and also he says he was a Pharisee. That's his background. But now I want to point out or I want to use my imagination and imagine what were the goads that Jesus refers to when he says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
We've already described what an ox goad is, a big long stick that they used to stick into the rump of the ox. But I wonder if goad number one, he was in Jerusalem, as I say, in his adult years. Maybe he heard Jesus teaching at some stage during those years in Jerusalem. He certainly would have known that Jesus existed. He certainly would have known about the wonderful miracles that this man had been doing over the years and he would have known about the times when Jesus confronted the Pharisees. He himself, as I say, calls himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. I wonder if goad number two was this occasion. It says in Matthew 21, verses 1 to 5, it says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of the donkey. Now Saul, as he was known then, was obviously a student of Gamaliel. He would have been well versed in the Old Testament and in particular he would have known that what was done on that occasion was a fulfilment of this prophecy from Zechariah 9 verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout, daughter Jerusalem, See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, slowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then, of course, all the people, as he came into Jerusalem, as Jesus came into Jerusalem, all the people put down palm branches. And you might wonder, he must have known at the time that this was a fulfilment of that prophecy in Zechariah 9. But the people would have wondered, why did Jesus come in on a donkey? Normally, the Roman generals, when they came into a city, came on a horse. But Jesus came in on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Specifically, as I say, fulfilment of that prophecy. Saul would have known, being a, a, a student of the Old Testament, under one of the best-known rabbis of the day, he would have known that particular prophecy. And he would have perhaps wondered to himself, is this a fulfilment of this prophecy? But of course, he would have dismissed that immediately. He would kick against that particular prick of conscience. Goad number three, and again, I'm just using my imagination, was this one here, Matthew, described in Matthew 27. It says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, he would have heard about this. Even if he wasn't in Jerusalem, and I, I'm claiming that he was in Jerusalem at the time, even if he wasn't in Jerusalem, word of this must have gone right through the whole country because the temple was, of course, the place where they worshipped God and they held it in such high esteem. But the temple curtain was huge. It was something like 60 feet high, almost as high, well, probably as high as this building. 
and it was thick. It was about, I don't know, what's that, about four inches, I'm using the old term, uh, about four inches thick. And it wasn't torn from the bottom to the top, it was torn from the top to the bottom. Absolutely impossible to do, humanly. But of course, God tore that curtain from top to bottom at a particular time, exactly at the time the Passover lamb would have been sacrificed. And if we want to know the significance of this torn veil, we only have to go to Hebrews 10 where it says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And then the last goad, I believe, was this one here. In Acts 7, we read about a message or a, a, a speech by, by um, Stephen. And at the end of it, we read this. At this, they covered their, their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. I wonder what went through Saul's mind as he listened to what Stephen had said and particularly at the end of that chapter where it says Stephen looked up to heaven and his face looked like the face of an angel. I wonder what went through Saul's mind then. I believe this was one of the goads. This is one of the times when Jesus with the goad stick, the ox, ox goad, pricked his conscience. But in each of those four occasions that I've identified or I've imagined, Saul obviously didn't respond. He basically kicked against them. If they were pricks of conscience, he just dismissed them and didn't take any notice of them. And I did exactly the same thing during those 10 years of my wilderness, the 10 years I call the years that the locust was eaten, had eaten. There were times when I look back during those 10 years when I, I must have felt, I did feel something. Most of the time, it was because my mother was on my back and telling me that I was away from the Lord and I should get back to church and laying it on me. But at other times, there was just some completely unrelated incident and I just dismissed it. And I think the message from the Apostle Paul that I have for me and I guess for us, God sometimes uses a sort of a, how can I put it, a gentle poke in the rump to us. I wonder if we just dismiss it. I wonder if our spiritual antenna are such that we know exactly when God is giving us a bit of a, a stick in the rump. Because let me tell you, from my experience, and I guess from the experience of the Apostle Paul, if we don't listen to those times when he gives us a gentle poke in the rump we have to get to the stage where he takes something far more dramatic to get our attention 
I think it's a lot safer if we take notice of the times when he gently chides us or gently gives us a poke in the rump. These are my imaginations of when Saul was goaded. I don't know whether there were other occasions. There probably are a lot of occasions when Jesus was giving him a poke in the rump. But let us remember that God needs to speak to us. Even after we've had our Damascus Road encounter and we come to faith in Jesus, there are times when God wants to get our attention and I wonder if we're listening. I wonder if we really have our antenna such that we don't need a really, really big poke. We only need something gentle. Because in my experience, when you don't listen to the gentle pokes, of, uh, pokes in, the, in the rump, God has to use something way more dr dramatic to get our attention. And that's the lesson I learned from the Apostle Paul. Not his life afterwards, but his years before he came to faith. The times when Jesus had to try and get his attention. And I believe that's something we can learn from his life. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, we, we know how much you wanted to get the attention of Saul as he was then. You had a life of service planned out for him. And Lord, you know each of us here in this congregation today and you know what it takes to get our attention. You know what service you have in mind for each one of us and we pray that we may be open to your suggestions. That we may heed your gentle reminders that we get from time to time so that we may become serviceable to the Master, prepared for every good work. We pray that whatever lessons we've heard today from the life of Saul, the Apostle Paul, Lord, help us to remember that you have the same lesson for us. May we be your servants, available to do whatever you want us to do. We pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you.